Let's start with how Ian Stewart went from being a teacher to being an EdTech innovator. Enjoy. We're into teaching now, getting into teaching. Yeah, yeah. So I then said my apprenticeship in a fairly mixed school for seven years, learning the basics, getting classroom procedures in place, learning to deal with pupils in difficult situations and uh, uh, then applied for a post on the island of Isla off the west coast which lots of people will recognise from whiskey mm. because it has nine distilleries in the catchment area of the school so spent there and during my time there I really got involved in the educational technology and what it could be used for from a remote island situation and why it should be used and actually in 2006, we were one of the world's first one-to-one schools. Every teacher, every pupil, covering two remote islands. Um, developed that, it's still going. We're very proud to say that it's sustainable. Um, and uh, yeah, the, the bit I'm most proud of is the, the non-use of interactive whiteboards. So we gave every teacher a tablet PC at the time. And then painted the walls white and put wireless projectors in so the teacher didn't have to turn their back. They could just be anywhere in the classroom. To me, that's how pedagogy should be, yeah. not tied to the front of the classroom. Mm. And it turned out to be a lot cheaper than buying interactive whiteboards. Mm. Oh, excellent. Yeah. So it's one of the old arguments of EdTech, of course, that interactive whiteboards do not in themselves improve learning outcomes or, or pedagogy even. So that's really interesting that, that you gave teachers that mobility i suppose and uh, i suppose um perhaps they could they could be a bit more creative and um maybe even flamboyant uh, because they could move around the classroom and even just from a very practical behavior point of view if you're standing at the back of a classroom watching the kids looking at the front you can see who's paying attention you can actually sit beside the pupil who is not focusing who is not able they don't necessarily to chastise or control them but just that presence changes the atmosphere Mm. So it's a really interesting case studies, just how, in a, in, as if I to say that Iona is a, a remote community, uh, certainly a sparsely populated community, that uh, there's been a real impact for EdTech in that community. Isla is definitely, um, it's not that small, it's about the size of central London, so it's, it did take a, a good 40 minutes to get to work sometimes, mm. even though the roads were open and clear, it's just the, the distances you were covering. But because we covered two islands, Isla and Jura, we actually had pupils who travelled down Dura, then got a ferry, then get the bus to school in the morning, and they had to do the chores before they left. Mm, interesting. So they have to really make an effort to be in school, so it better be interesting. <laughs> it better be interesting. But the, but the main part was to give them a perspective outside their own world. Right. We, we did the research. We looked at where our students went. They, they were very good at getting the kids to university if they wanted to go. But we found that they struggled, and it was the social side. It was the ability to live in a city. It was the ability to live on their own. That was the downside. So we had to rejig our curriculum to give them the skills. And part of that was using the technology to to enhance that experience and give them those opportunities. We still took them to cities. We still made that effort, but using the technology to go where you couldn't go very easily that's what we did you didn't break them in gently and take them on an immersive tour of glasgow first 
a few we did. Don't get me wrong. We yeah. had to be careful we didn't drop off the wrong corner. But uh, yeah, we did do in any of these virtual experiences, whether it's VR, whether it's um, using technology to show places, it never replaces the real thing. Mm. And I think that's a key message I want to carry right through for all of this is that we can use technology and technology allows us more access to things, but in a different way. So what's about your transition from being a teacher to actually being an ed tech innovator, an ed tech entrepreneur? Okay, uh, and yeah, so, so uh, I was uh, phoned by the Cabinet Secretary for Education at the time uh, directly um, for Scotland and said, um, I want you to come and work for the Scottish Government for two years. So it was as simple as that. So I worked on the, the national platform for Scotland, Scottish education called the GLOW platform. We redesigned that, opened it up so that it wasn't just a Microsoft platform. It was opened up to other things. It became a, a national identifier. So pupils and teachers all had an authentication system that allowed them to go to safe and secure places. Mm. Um, I was then working for... Notosh, Ewan McIntosh, who's quite well known, uh, worked with Ewan for a few years, but really I struggled to keep up with Ewan. 200,000 miles in a couple of years, I was absolutely exhausted. Um, and I got approached by uh, Microsoft, knocked on my door and said, would you like to come and work for us as a customer success manager? Right. They knocked on your door. Tell us how that yeah. worked. Yes. <laughs> Literally, I got a friend who said, I think we need somebody in Scotland. We think it's you come and work for us in the contract simple as that interesting so how about the development from that to uh, the Edgiverse and, and what was your involvement so in again knocked on the door and somebody came up and said we're it's looking here, for isn't it? <laughs> it's a busy door um, someone uh, came up and said uh, we're looking for a head of education um, do you want to find out more so I had a few conversations uh, had the interview, had the discussion, whatever you want to call it, and I was offered the post. Uh, that was eighteen months ago by Avantis. And Avantis is a small, was a small company. It's actually grown massively in the time, even the last eighteen months. And um, they've been working in education for about 15, 20 years, but with VR and an absolute focus for the last six years now, and with. What I liked about it was that they wanted to support teachers in the classroom. They came at it from a learning and teaching perspective first mm. and designed the technology to go around that. That really appealed to me. That was the correct way of doing it, not taking a business um, uh, industrial process and then adapting it for education, but designing it from the ground up for teachers, for educators. Mm. And I spoke to the chief technical officer about how he came up with his idea. And he said, I wanted my mother to be able to use it in her classroom. It was as simple as that. So that's it. That was his use case. His mother, a primary school teacher, able to use stuff. Mm. This is fascinating in terms of the momentum of, of VR. So before we ascend or descend into the metaverse or, or edgiverse in this case, what about the momentum or otherwise of uh, VR in education. Uh, so obviously it did start to gather momentum and then there was a pandemic and has it started to go back to the where it was pre-pandemic? It's, 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 it's gone beyond that, I would say. Yeah. So the, the company was was 
doing reasonably well. The pandemic hit, and actually what they discovered was that, they, well, the headsets are designed to work on the same network as the control computer for safety and security. That didn't work during the pandemic, so they quickly spun up what they call VR rooms, virtual reality rooms, and these were given free, and these were teachers were able to bring pupils into a space virtually, safely, and allow them to communicate as avatars inside that space. And I was speaking to a language school in Athens not long after I started. And they they had pupils, students who were coming from six different schools using three or four different platforms to do their day teaching. And the first thing they did was gave them 15 minutes to run around in a virtual playground to talk to their friends. Mm. And interestingly, they have anecdotally have come up with the least number of students with anxiety. Right. Very interesting. I think it's a really interesting thing. I think there's a case study there definitely been dug into by, by an academic. Um, and they realised I'm in. <laughs> you're in. Absolutely. Yeah. Good. We'll help you. Um, and they realised that these virtual rooms could be used by teachers both on headsets, but also without headsets. Mm. And they could actually have an exploratory space that was restricted enough that there was safe boundaries. There was a garden wall around it. But also they could they could allow them to explore and interact with each other. So students can talk to each other inside this virtual space. And it's based on Mozilla Hubs. So Mozilla yeah. Hubs has been about for a good long time, but that's the, the technology it's based on. Yeah, I've used Mozilla Hubs. It, it, it's very interesting. And so in terms of that momentum, what about the, you mentioned um, improving people's, sorry, the, the, the ameliorating uh, people's um, anxiety levels, you know, as they, uh, yeah. as they enter sort of virtual social situations and start to feel a bit more at ease with their peers. Uh, what other examples may you have of uh, VR having a positive effect on education? There are so many. Um, so one of the issues around around anxiety is anxiety to go back into school. But if you can tell them or show them, this is your classroom, this is the journey into your classroom, this is the, the way you can be brought in. So it's not just about breaking out of the school walls, but actually showing into the school walls as well. Hmm. So with I was listening to your... Um, podcast on the 2nd of November of 2020 with Eugene Kappen who said 360 content is just not taken off yet even though it's absolutely brilliant I 100% agree with him I think there's an opportunity here for 360 content to be put on a headset to be explored to be taking your students where you need to take them but also to bring where you've taken those students and I think back to Isla I would have loved to have been able to give those kids on that island the experience of being in a city, not to re not to replace going, but to just say, put the headset on, this is you in the middle of the city, this is that experience that you can have. Mm. <clears throat> and I think... Oh, sorry. Yeah. So uh, we were talking about momentum and you, you were talking about this 360 experience, but what about the 360 infrastructure? How, how far away do you think we are from that whereby the infrastructure is um, can create that real sense of um, the universality, if you like, that just about all kids have these um, um, opportunities? 
I think it's it's their move because the price of cameras and the quality of the cameras in the last year, just the last year, is now good enough and at an accessible point that every school should have a 360 camera. Mm. Absolutely right, they should. Um, without being too political, do you think that there is the will and the support uh, at a policy at a policy level for that kind of thing to, to be increasingly acceptable in the classroom for that kind of pedagogy to be encouraged? I don't think there is an understanding um, even whether it's strategic level, government level, at head of Matt's level, I don't think there's an understanding of that yet. I think mm. that's the journey that people are on. But what you usually find, and I'm sure you've come across this several times, Pete, you've got the innovators who do it in the classroom and it's the strategic and policy that plays catch up yeah. far too much later. Absolutely. Well, I might have mentioned this in the previous podcast, I'm not sure if I did, but I found through uh, my research recently that a lot of the research into things like VR and met metaverse is very disjointed and fragmented. There's no sort of joined up thinking. It's very global, but not globalized. It's in the kind of countries that you wouldn't necessarily expect to be conducting uh, research. And it's very often things like conference papers. So it's sort of introductory findings that don't necessarily um, develop into something a bit more substantial. Does, does that seem to ring true? It absolutely rings true. And I think there's a there's a an opportunity. It sounds like you're taking it, Pete. There's an opportunity to dig into that research and say, what's the impact? What's the yeah. pedagogical impact? And we're working with uh, Gabriella, Gabriella Radicchio at uh, Glasgow University, who's been using our headsets and other headsets to kind of how does this impact on pedagogy and how does it impact on teacher training as well? Mm. You've also got the Lunda School of Education in Maine in the US who are using it to get remote and rural teachers to see alternative ways of laying out the classroom and seeing what that classroom looks like. Mm. Mm. So rather than trying to gather all these people where they've got four and five hour drives across a big state, they take a 360 video and share it so others can see it. Yeah, well, that leads us um, virtually into the Agiverse, a metaverse uh, entity. And um, I mean, I'll throw a sort of quite well-worn uh, quote, if you like, at you. And that's that, you know, education is life rather than preparation for life. Or at least it should be life rather than preparation for life. Do you think that um, metaverse creations uh, could actually help that happen, you know, rather than being stuck in this kind of purgatory on the way to the, um, the hell of of labour, um, which is a, a, a quotation from uh, uh, Mr. Um, George Sampson from 1922. Um, yeah. Rather than making this awful preparation for the drudgery of, of work, why can't education be life? And why can't metaverse creations help create a more sort of enriching and ambitious and entrepreneurial and, uh, and um, I suppose, diverse experiences um, that you'd expect in, in, in a very sort of interesting life? It's an interesting definition of uh, being life. Um, I think there's two cases. There's a bit of how do you prepare people for the world we don't have in the future, that other well-worn trope that's out there now. Yeah. But also, if you think back to something like uh, Wittgenstein's quote, you know, the, the limit of my language is the limit of my world. Mm. But if you say that to the, the limit of my experience is the limit of my world, yeah. how do you give people experiences of a life outside their own? And I think that metaverse, that 360 content, that um, practical example, we're working with a renewable energy company 
uh, here in Scotland, just over the, the water for me in Fife. And the school can't give the pupils a work experience in there. It's just not safe. It's just There's just so many things to stop that. So we're working with the renewable energy company to create content to take into the school. And that's actually preparing them what the life is. I've heard anecdotally there is a 360 video from the top of a wind turbine in the middle of the North Sea that puts most kids even thinking about that as a career. Mm. But it's really important you get to know what you don't want to do as much as you get to know what you do want to do. And they couldn't do that any other way except by giving them that experience inside a virtual reality headset. You're looking at that 360 video, looking down the wind turbine, experiencing all those things. Maybe not the wind. But that's the rest of it is there. But also, you might want to go in and say, how would you describe being a Viking in the, in the 17th century, or sorry, even earlier, the 10th century, raiding Lindisfarne? And how could you write a story around this? And you take those eight, nine-year-olds, put them into Lindisfarne, put them in 360 contents, and actually say, this is what it looks like. And I'm sure every teacher who who has ever taught a class, has used the phrase, imagine yourself as, you know? Mm. And if you don't have an experience, if you don't have an understanding of what imagine yourself as, what that would be. For me, it was working class Glasgow, uh, round about three or four streets around the shipyards. That was my world. I was lucky my parents took me out to um, the country as well. So I had those reference points as well. But if that's your only experience, Mm. how can you imagine something different? without being given something different. And to me, that's different from being life. It's about showing an opportunity towards a different sort of life. And for that, for that, I suppose, presenting opportunities to people that they wouldn't normally have uh, presented to them, surely the curriculum has to change. Oh, yeah, yeah. The curriculum absolutely has to change. Um <sighs> And it needs to be pupils focused as much as anything else. But the, the pushback in that is how do you individualize and pupil focus using PLPs, using whatever at scale? It's, it's, it's a really, really, that's why the elitist skills tend to do that because they can. Yeah. So if you had, say, task based and a task-based cur- curriculum uh, a project-based curriculum inquiry learning lots more of that rather than i suppose a back-to-basics approach which we're increasingly uh, subject to yeah in my little school on isla we actually had our curriculum changed and instead of going for based on the year of manufacture we went for a what are you able to do mm-hmm. curriculum so you might have 13, 14 year olds together in the same physics class because they're able to handle it. And we discovered that was a brilliant way of doing it. Absolutely brilliant because it was dependent on the individual where they were at that moment in time and their development curve. But the other part of that is we gave them self discovery time. And what came out of that was that self discovery time, where they had to come up with their own projects and define them and build them and present them, is that they didn't know how to do it. So we actually had to put things in place earlier to say, these are the skills you need. So you put the bricks in and you allow those bricks to, to, to be set up. You put some uh, mortar around those bricks to hold them in place. And then you say, there's your wall. Now, what are you going to do? How are you going to? use these skills and apply them. Uh, you're going to build a wall, you're going to build 
um, a smoke machine or you go to discover uh, write a graphic novel what's your outcome to this yeah. and it needed a lot of structure to allow that to happen there's a pleasing irony to this then isn't there because you you were alluding to the industrial model there weren't you yeah. the, the idea that the kids are grouped together by their year of manufacture and that's the industrial model of obviously hark back to the victorian era doesn't it but yes. what you're saying is without just twisting your words too much in that really the technology can really prepare people for the workplace uh, it can supercharge the skills and behaviors that they need for the modern workplace and it's about that meta skills that are, allow it to be applied to many situations that become even more important and i think there's a there's a case for you need to do a bit of training, direct teaching, but then take that direct teaching and apply it in various contexts. Mm. And it's that practice, 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 now express. Practice, 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 now express. So it's that bit in the middle between direct education and exploratory education. It's mm. not either or, it needs to be a bit of both at different times for different things. Yeah, so the, the skills that you need are not, not exclusively um, maths, science, grammar, and so on. <laughs> the behaviours that, uh, that, as you say, embrace uh, flexibility as opposed to problem solving. Absolutely. I mean, I did some work in Australia several years ago now um, with Ewan McIntosh and Notosh around design thinking and applying design thinking in schools. So going to a school and saying, what's the biggest problem you have? You know, it could be social, it could be environmental it could be all sorts of things and they had to come up with i have a real problem with the concept of a uh, problem solving everybody says they're a problem solver but if you look at some of the kickstarter sites you realize there's a lot of problems that don't really need solved that they've come up with a solution with and it's really it's as you and mcintosh says it's problem finding it's finding a problem worth solving that's the hard part once you've got that, then you can, you can apply the hard skills to do what you need to do, the technical skills, the understanding. But the actual finding of a problem worth solving is the really, really important part to that. Mm. So without putting on the spot too much, Ian, because this has been so useful, it really has, let's imagine how the school day might be changed then if, if kids could be a little bit more uh, well, more deeply involved in, in a metaverse or in your case, edgyverse. Um, what would that school day look like? Would it be would it be a session every day where they have to, they get to um, put on the VR helmets and so on, and they um, enter this world for a project based uh, learning experience? Uh, would it be uh, a considerable part of their day? And would it would be in this virtual kingdom, or would it be interspersed with you know enriching outdoor activity or, or whatever? I'm just I, interested to know. Yeah, I, I'm a big fan of building on the existing pedagogy in the classroom. Mm. I don't think any company should be defining what your pedagogy is. They should be enhancing your pedagogy. So what we want to do is is give you tools to do that. And if you go to edgiverse.com, that's that first level. It's free where you can actually take groups of kids into a 3D model and walk around it and talk inside it using a bit of games technology. Or you can use um, a scenes like Avanti's World where you can actually dig into the scenes and explore the scenes. And those scenes can be embedded inside Teams, inside Google, and they're actually sitting there for the pupil to actually go in and explore on any device, which I think is really important as well, that accessibility. And the final level is that Let's put the headsets on. So, for example, 
really good example from Australia, early years practitioner who are the real educators in this world. Um, she wanted her kids to experience snow for the first time. They were brought up in the desert region of Australia and she actually got headsets and put 360 content on there of uh, snow and snowy mountains and then they climbed up Mount Everest through the snow but she turned the AC down as much as she could. But also the magical bit, she'd actually gone to the supermarket and got some slushy ice so the kids could put their hands in it at the same time. <laughs> nice. That's really so, nice. And so she was then using that to say, how would you describe snow? How would you describe that feeling? Previously, they thought cold was about 27 degrees. They thought that was cold. So they got that understanding. And that understanding, emotional understanding, then allows them to explore the language that goes with that. That will stay with them the rest of their lives. Yeah, you know, yeah. that's that experience. I can imagine a physics teacher saying, "Let's go look inside the, the CERN super collider," and they would take a group and walk them through the super, super collider safely because they can't go anywhere else. They can only go within the defines of that area, and that's the secret of the edgeverse. The edgeverse is that space you can take a pupil into and allow them to explore safely. Whereas if you do it on some other platforms, they're actually limited at the age of 13 for mm. legal reasons. They can go anywhere, but you need to control it very, very carefully. And I think each of those little steps that support the pedagogy that you're trying to achieve, we're looking at many beasts. Yes, let's go out and look at the pond in the garden. Now, you wouldn't be able to walk into that pond, but you can put the headsets on and walk into that virtual pond to take that other experience, give it another way. It's that the limit of your experience is the limit of your world. How do we break more experiences? Wonderful. This is brilliant. And, and quotes from Wittgenstein thrown in as well for good measure. Is... <laughs> I love Wittgenstein. I do. I just, uh, the fact he was a teacher for a while as well kind of gives him an interesting perspective. Mm -hmm. Well, philosophy sits quite nicely alongside uh, edtech, I think, because it's all about you know what if and why, why, what, how could we do this differently, and why not, and so on, and all these big questions that philosophy asks. But also, I mean, if you if you look at the design thinking protocols, where you say how might we, and you ask those how might we questions, that then leads into lots of other discussions around what's possible. Yeah. It takes you down to places that you wouldn't normally explore, even if you were confident with ed tech you'll play with the tool and i'm guilty of this you'll play with the tool but actually to play with the tool and make it have a difference are two different things i suppose one more thing if, if i may it's yeah. that idea of being sort of personalized and customizable so for example you know kids play computer games that is uh that is true isn't it and um so but they like their own things don't they they like to play Fortnite or whatever it is that they're playing these days. So they play Fortnite yet anymore, but anyway. But um but, but can metaverse make them feel as though that they've got a sense of ownership over what they're doing? I think for me it gives them uh confidence in the skills and the, the tools that most of them have used in games already. Mm. Um like you know, just keyboard strokes and things like that, the confidence to speak inside a space because they do. In Fortnite, they, they have conversations with uh, virtual spatial um, audio where the closer they are to someone inside that space, the louder the voice is. We've utilised that technology. So when they're in a space, they can talk, they can see, they've got an avatar, they can walk around and explore. Or in the case of eduverse.com, they can walk around a 360 video, uh, video or picture or a model 
and the teacher can guide them through that experience. But the other part of that is to give them access to experts. So we're working with the Royal Botanic Gardens here in Edinburgh and their education team is going to start fairly soon giving tours of plant cells from inside plant cell from their headquarters and they'll bring in pupils from other places and the expert will guide them through the plant cell, the pollination, the water cycle. So getting that expert voice into that classroom, I think is, no matter where you are in the, in the country, is just amazing. I think that's an opportunity that every teacher would love. It's definitely better than my experience of biology, which is uh, having bored the Cicerone at you while a teacher barks a load of instructions from the front of the class. Did you go to Govan High as well, Pete? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there certainly is a pattern there, isn't it? I think with, um, with a, a certain type of school, shall we say. Shall uh, we say, indeed. Yes. Wow, Ian, I've really enjoyed this. This, this has been inspirational. So um, thanks a lot for taking the time and for being very patient with these inevitable tech issues that uh, <laughs> every time you try to do anything that demonstrates the wonder of technology, you get tech issues, don't you? So Absolutely. But if you do get to somebody who, who has used technology, they will have sympathy and empathy with you. They really will. Absolutely. Well, thank you for your kindness, Ian, and we'll, we'll stay in touch and let us know if I can help with anything. Um, so, for example, I, I did. I wasn't joking when I said uh, I'd, I'd be interested in, in being part of a research project on uh, VR, so uh, let me know if I can help. Let's have that conversation fairly soon. And it's quite and it's good to meet you, Pete, because apparently we've been following each other for a couple of years. We have, know. indeed. We have, from on afar. Twitter? Yeah, absolutely. A, a sort of um, benign stalking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, let's escalate this now. Absolutely. <laughs> talk to each other in a more committed way. Absolutely, mate. Really appreciate that time. Thanks, Ian. You take care. You too. Bye. Bye.